issue of making people whole, paying restitution. It's a biblical concept, as I say, that if you steal my car on Monday, get saved on Tuesday, and you're still driving my car on Wednesday, you're not saved. Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way editor and president, Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is a network of people and churches working together to spread the hope of Christ. For more than 25 years, CBF has been driven by its mission to serve Christians and churches as they discover and fulfill their God-given mission. Join the fellowship at work in long-term global missions in more than 25 countries. Join them too as they strive to form healthy congregations and support the ministers that serve them. Put your faith to action. Visit cbf.net to get connected. In this episode, we're going to have a conversation with Kevin Cosby, president of Simmons College of Kentucky and pastor of St. Stephen Baptist Church, both of those in Louisville, Kentucky. Kevin was one of the key speakers at the Angela Project gathering held this year in Birmingham, Alabama on Juneteenth. I had the opportunity to be there, which has been a time set aside by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, the National Baptist Convention of America, and the Progressive National Baptist Convention to collaborate and dialogue together as we come up to the 400th anniversary on August 20th of this year of the arrival of the first enslaved Africans in what is now the United States. So he's going to be talking about that project, as well as a lot of other really important issues involving race and the status of blacks in America today. He'll also talk about Simmons College and St. Stephen Church, and he'll be talking about Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, its slave-owning past, and an effort urging them to pay reparations. And wait for it, because Dr. Cosby's even going to speak directly to Dr. Al Mohler of Southern Seminary with some pretty strong words. So hopefully, Dr. Bowler will listen in. But I'm glad that you're listening. So here's my interview with Kevin Cosby of Simmons College of Kentucky. Well, first of all, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Oh, I'm honored to be here. Thank you, Brian. You wear a couple different hats. <laughs> you are the pastor of St. Stephen Baptist Church Correct. in Louisville, Louisville. Kentucky. Yeah. And you are also the president of Simmons College of Kentucky, right. also in, in Louisville. I wonder if you could introduce both of those and maybe start with the church because we're going to have some follow-up questions about, okay. about the college. Okay. Well, there is a connection between St. Stephen Baptist Church and Simmons College in as much as when St. Stephen started as a, a mission church in 1926, they asked the president of Simmons, Charles Parrish Sr., to send a minister to help the church. So one of the theological students, B.J. Miller, Dr. B.J. Miller, was sent, and he became really the organizing pastor of St. Stephen Baptist Church, 1926. So there's a connection between Simmons and St. Stephen. Also, that man, B.J. Miller Sr., who was sent to serve as the kind of organizing pastor for, and served for 44 years, was my biological grandfather. So I grew up in St. Stephen Church, and he would later enroll 
with three other Simmons students in 1948 in the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and would become the three of them, including my grandfather, organizing pastor of St. Stephen Baptist Church, would become the first three blacks to graduate from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So my family, St. Stephen's, Simmons, Southern Baptist, are tied to the hip. So St. Stephen Baptist, I became the pastor in 1979. So uh, next month, officially, July, I'll be celebrating my 40th year wow. at St. Stephen Church. Thank you so that's, much. That's, that's a remarkable tenure. Oh, it's been an exciting run. It's always been an adventurous ministry for me. I mean, always something new is happening, you know, something innovative. You just never know which direction the Lord's going to take us. And so we're just being led by the Spirit. And we are in a community that is economically challenging. We're in the poorest zip code in the state of Kentucky. When you think of Kentucky, you think of poverty of like in Appalachia, Owsley County, in the heart of Appalachia, medium income, $25,000. But where I am in West Louisville, the medium income is 12500 And so our church is there. We've been able to, by the grace of God, to develop a very strong ministry that is attracting people from beyond the immediate community so that you have healthy, I don't want to call it gentrification, but for lack of a better term, Christian gentrification. And Christian gentrification is when people who have resources are making those resources available for those who have none or very little. So it's what Paul says, ye who are strong in Romans chapter 15, ye who are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not please yourself. And that's what's happening at St. Stephen Church. You have an intersection of middle class to professional blacks who are interfacing with the poorest of the poor. As a result of my connection with Empower West and CBF, that call, that intersection has even grown beyond just professional blacks intersecting with poor blacks, but also whites also coming into the mix and benefiting in a mutual way. So it's not just a one-way type of relationship, but the people who are indigenous to the California community where St. Stephen Church is also blessing people who come to the church, who come from outside the community. So, like I said, I've been there for 40 years. When I went there, all of the issues and pathologies that you think about in poor urban areas we experience. There's not many institutions. There's not many wraparound services. There's not many amenities. There's no sit-down restaurants. It's a poor neighborhood. Not many businesses, not banks. In fact, I've seen over the course of my 40 years institutions that anchor the community leave. Stores have gone, businesses have gone, and in their place are payday loans, fast food, restaurants where there's glass petitions between the customer and the proprietor. But the church stayed there. I like to say we, we put our mailbox in concrete, decided to stay there, and we systematically and strategically purchased 
lots and property all around us. And because it's a poor neighborhood, the property was, was cheap. We were there not to gentrify, but to do ministry. So we purchased a lot of property. We were surrounded by nightclubs and liquor stores. But over the course of the years, all of those nightclubs, liquor stores, we purchased, tore them down. I like to say God gave us the land of the Hittites, Jebusites, and the Bud Lights. <laughs> and we built a strong church, strong facilities, family life centers, first African-American church in the state to build a family life center right there where it was needed. Wonderful worship center. And the church just continued to grow and grow. And interestingly enough, it grew initially because of our emphasis on Sunday school. We became a strong Sunday school church, which I learned from Southern Baptists. And building the strong Sunday school helped the worship service to grow and the church to grow. And we've since created two additional satellites. So we have a church across the river, the Ohio River, from Louisville and Jeffersonville, Indiana. It's a 12-minute drive on Sunday mornings, but it's a 1,000 miles psychologically because it's Indiana, and they identify more with Indiana than they do Kentucky. Well, that river historically was such a significant dividing line, right? That that river was, you cross that river and you have freedom. You had freedom. That's a good point. So Kentucky was a border state. So crossing that river psychologically, it's like going a 1,000 miles psychologically. And then we also planted another church in Radcliffe, Kentucky, right outside Fort Knox. And that church is doing well. So we have six weekend services, one on Saturday and five on Sunday. And I preach all of them. So I'm, I'm very busy. Then with the responsibility of Simmons, I've got a very full plate. But a lot of great things are taking place, both with the church and the school. Before we start talking about Simmons, you know, as you're talking in the, in the late 1930s, Clarence Jordan was yeah. a, a student at Southern Seminary right. and, and had his eyes opened yeah. there in Louisville. He eventually would go on to found Koinia Farm, a racial Christian community in Georgia, and became a very you know significant early white civil rights uh, right. activist. And the Cotton Patch Gospel is one of the yeah, things he's better known for today. But when he was a student, when he was, I don't remember if he was a student or right after when he stayed and was still working there in West Louisville. He wrote a letter back to his mother, describing what he had seen, the poverty, some of the same things that you're describing that still plague the community day. And he wrote back to his mom that, no, America is not yet a Christian nation. Right. And it, it strikes me that, you know, here we are 75 years mm-hmm. after that statement, and it's still true. And it's still exactly what he's describing and what, what you've been preaching here to mm-hmm. us at the Angela Project and the CBF Gathering and what you've been describing, it's not just the, the ministry component of the community, but it's also this call to justice. Right, absolutely. And I think that's such an important connection that these are not separate. Absolutely. Yes. And I mean, Clarence Jordan is, is, is one of my heroes. He worked at the Baptist Fellowship Center, which is an old institution started in the 19th century, a black institution that Southern Baptists have always supported historically. So he worked there. He was in West Louisville. He really had an understanding that the gospel, of course, is about God loving the poor. And I think the church must love whom God loves. And we have been doing the Angela Project for the last three years. Of course, Angela was the woman who was the first to walk off that Dutch man of war ship 
And when she walked off that ship, she walked into history as the first black enslaved person in American history. 400 years ago. 400 years ago. And we'll commemorate the event on August the 20th. So we are in America when it relates to our history. We've edited our history. We are not only woefully ignorant, but we are willfully ignorant. We always like to read the parts of history that flatter us and make us feel good. We love to talk about Thomas Jefferson, but we don't want to talk about Sally Hemings. Or we talk about George Washington, but we don't want to talk about his runaway slave whom he sought to recapture until his death, and that's on a judge. We talk about Abraham Lincoln, but we don't like to talk about the fact that his ultimate goal was the, the repatriating of the enslaved people, either in Liberia or in Chicago, Panama. So those unflattering parts of American history, we tend to cover up to our detriment. The great James Baldwin once said that you cannot fix what you will not fix. And one of the reasons why we have not been able to fix race relations in America is because we don't want to face the reality of its brutality, the injustice of it, the evils of slavery, of Jim Crow, of urban renewal, which was black removal, of lynching, of mass incarceration, of economic disinvestment, of through redlining, and now gentrification. And the fact of the matter is, since blacks have been in America since 1619, there has not been one day, not one day, perhaps with the exception of those very brief years during Reconstruction, there's, besides that brief period, there has not been one day where blacks have experienced justice in America. And by justice, I'm not talking about simply the ending American apartheid, but the restoring and the fixing of who America has hurt. So you just can't plunder a people of their wealth and opportunity and then say, okay, we will stop and not say, okay, we've got to repair what we broke. And we've been talking a lot here at the at CBF meeting about the racial wealth chasm, that black people are 13 to 14% of the population, but control less than 3% of the wealth. And that has not moved in 150 years. I mean, out of slavery was like maybe 1% or less. And then 153 years later, it's less than 3%. And we're 14% of the population until black people can have the wealth commensurate with our numbers then we will always be a caste in America and we will always experience oppression. And the absence of wealth is completely attributable to the fact that while whites were getting a boost as a result of New Deal programs, blacks were getting the block. And that's a history that not only are whites not familiar with, but to a great degree, blacks are not. Now, we knew that doors were shut, but still, I don't think we really understood the true impact of having these doors shut for black opportunity. I think a lot of times in white churches, when we talk about 
race, we want to talk about personal relationships. Correct. Yeah. Right. And, and what and what you're talking about is the systemic the level. Systemic. And I want to I want to bring in the story of Simmons College of Kentucky because okay. to me it it is personification almost of this whole story. Yeah. The story of the college from its founding, from its almost death. It embodies so much of what you, you're talking about here. So right. for, for those that aren't familiar, can you tell us about the school? Yeah, well, if you're Baptist, you should know who William J. Simmons is. And he was the second president, and the school was named in his honor in 1918. But all black Baptists, denominationally speaking, trace their origin to William J. Simmons. Gary Durian who's an ethicist at Union Theological Seminary, has written a book on the black social gospel. It's a very voluminous two-volume book, black social gospel from post-slavery to the 40s, I believe. And then the second volume includes the more modern Martin Luther King and these others. But while whites are familiar with Walter Rauschenbusch and social gospel, for black social gospel, which is not simply class, because Rouse and Bush is dealing primarily with class issues. Black social gospel is dealing with race. And Gary Dorian attributes the establishment of a black social gospel agenda to William Jasons. He was the founder of the National Baptist Convention and a very brilliant man. You don't know much about him because he died young, but he wrote a classic book called Men of Mark, which is part of the public domain. It's a 900-page book, 900 pages of sketches on outstanding black men who through education achieved excellence, and most of them are ministers. He was about to write a sequel on it called Women of Mark, but he died before he could do that because he was in the early years, a feminist, a black ministerial feminist. But anyway, so Simmons started patterning itself after Howard University. What was unique about Simmons in its origin was that Simmons was black controlled. It was a black institution. Howard was controlled by whites. The Freedmen Bureau gave birth to Howard. Most of the schools, black colleges that were founded, were founded by denominations. Very few of them were founded and established by blacks, especially black Baptists. And it was founded and patterned after Howard University. Simmons himself was a graduate of Howard, first black with a college degree minister in the state of Kentucky. And it was different from its inception from Tuskegee, which was primarily industrial education, agricultural education, because it was believed by the Booker T. Washingtonites and the Hampton University model that blacks need to be educated exclusively in industrial agricultural education. But Simmons University was different. While there was a department, I believe, for industrial education, primarily classical liberal arts education was the agenda of Simmons, so that Simmons gave birth to the black professional class in not only in Kentucky, but in states surrounding Kentucky. It was the only black college that had a medical school, law school, liberal arts college that was being governed by black people. One of our graduates, a graduate from our law school, was a man named William Worley. William Worley sued the city of Louisville because of restricted covenants, which 
disallowed black people to move in certain areas of Louisville. The newly formed NAACP took his case to the Supreme Court and the famous Worley versus Buchanan decision of 1917 that outlawed government-backed segregated housing was overturned, but he was a Simmons grad. And this was the first case, by the way, that the NAACP won before the Supreme Court history. So it, it was a school, it was a very rich school. Um, the original Porgy and Bess came from Simmons, Robert Todd Duncan. He was a graduate of Simmons. George Gershwin came to Simmons and got him personally. We integrated higher education in the South. The first black professor of any institution in the South, Southern institution, public institution, was Charles Parrish Jr. He integrated University of Louisville in 1951, thus becoming the first black professor of any university in the South. So we integrated higher education. We integrated Broadway with this Robert Todd Duncan when Porgy Bess was shown on Broadway Well, Simmons grad integrated that. We integrated theological education for Southern Baptists with my grandfather and two other men who became the first blacks to graduate from Southern Seminary. So we've had a a tremendous impact in education. Unfortunately, in 1929, with the stock market crash, Simmons lost all of its buildings. It was forced to downsize. The University of Louisville took over our campus and forced Simmons to signed a non-compete clause. They formed a segregated division at the University of Louisville, and they took basically all of Simmons' programs and left us with only a theological department. So all the departments, medical school, law school, everything in our liberal arts was shut down, and the University of Louisville took over, and Simmons was reduced to theological education. And so in other words, all they left us was, was with God. They said, we're taking everything from you, but God, <laughs> they did not know what they were doing. <laughs> so it continued primarily from 1930 until I became president in 2005 as a Bible college and people knew it as a Bible college and did not know the old Simmons, a university. Well, two things happened. In the 1990s, my father became the chairman of this Jefferson County Public School Board. So remember I told you that the University of Louisville took over our campus. After they took over our campus, Louisville was segregated in education. And, and oh yeah, by the way, the black division of U of L called Municipal was on our campus. They took over our campus, University of Louisville, and converted into their segregated division. Louisville integrated in 1951. There was a law called the Day Law, which prohibited blacks and whites from sitting in the same classroom. It was targeted towards a Berea College, Nevada Berea College, historic college in Kentucky. So after UofL integrated, University of Louisville integrated, blacks could come onto the main campus, so there was no need for the old buildings that Simmons had built. So they gave it to Jefferson County Public Schools. Jefferson County Public Schools got in 1951 and used it for multiple purposes. These are old buildings, one built in 1920, one built in 1908. So the University of Louisville gave it to Jefferson County Public Schools. 
My father becomes the first black chairman of the Jefferson County Public Schools. And they said, we have to get rid of some of this property. We have to sell it. So my father calls me on the phone and says to me, Kevin, we're going to sell, the school board's going to sell the old Simmons College, Municipal College campus. And perhaps you need to buy it. This is in the 90s, like eight years before I become president. So our church goes down to the auction and purchases the property. No one's there. And we purchased it for a little of nothing. Four acres of down, almost on the edge of the downtown area. Two buildings for $108,000. So our church purchases it. I become president in 2005. And it dawns on me that I am the president and I'm the pastor of St. Stephen's that has the buildings that Simmons lost in 1930. So we worked out something. So in 2007, the church allowed Simmons to move back to the campus because we were in one little small building that was in total disrepair. So we moved back to the campus. After 77 years, we got our campus. We're on the campus. And then after we became accredited at HBCU, nothing like this has been done in American history, a black college coming back, back to its original campus. Accreditation, HBCU status. Some of the foundations were so impressed that they said, you know what? We're going to give you the money to buy the campus back from St. Stephen's so it would be the property of Simmons again. So we got the money. The pastor of St. Stephen's spoke with the president of Simmons to get along. <laughs> yeah. They worked out a great deal. They're both of them, friends. We are good <laughs> friends that both of them agreed on. <laughs> and so the property was returned back to Simmons. And only God could have done that. Only God could have orchestrated something like this so that this property, the, the saddest day in Black Baptist history. In fact, our state convention, General Association of Kentucky Baptists, is the oldest Black state Baptist convention in America. It was founded four months after Lee surrendered to Grant in Appomattox Courthouse. Lee surrendered in April of 1865. We started like July for two reasons. To start Simmons and a paper called the American Baptist, which is the oldest black weekly newspaper in America today. Founded in 1879, the same year Simmons was established. So they came together, started the General Association of Colored Baptists in 1865 for those two purposes. So to get the campus back is only God could have done that and to become an HBCU. And although we are older than most HBCUs, we are the last designated and probably the last HBCU ever because to be an HBCU, you had to be in existence prior to 1965. So 64 is the cutoff year. And, of course, we started in 1879 and never closed. So we've always been open. And we played our music with one bowstring. And that was a theological department. That was it. But it was still open. We never closed. So since we didn't close and got accredited, was able to expand the curriculum and the degree offerings, my God, we were able to apply for HBCU status with the United States Department of Education. One of the proudest days of my life. 
was when I received a call from the United States Department of Education and the person up there at the end said, Brother Cosby, because they only call you brother when you're in the fraternity of HBCUs. Yeah, so that's huge. There's so many biblical imageries that run through that story. I mean, this idea of this, you know, it's a redemption story. I mean, and it's beautiful. And now there's a push for another type of redemption story in Louisville involving Simmons and another institution your grandfather went to and you went to, and that's Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Yes. In December, for those that are listening that perhaps have missed it, that Southern Baptist Seminary did put out a report. They did a that good first step, honestly trying to tell the story that hadn't been told, mm-hmm. showing over 50 enslaved persons had been held in bondage by the four founders of the seminary. And other key professors were supporting the Confederacy even after the Civil War. The key donor that saved their institution from going under had received his wealth from black convict labor. When Simmons was started in 1879, blacks couldn't go to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And the two first presidents, including Simmons himself, had been born in slavery. Absolutely. And so you've got these two very different stories, but birthed there in the same city. And so that has led to a call from you and others in a movement Power West, mm-hmm. for reparations. Yes. And I wonder if you could explain that because you explain both the call, but you've also, this is very deeply theological. Absolutely. And you have taught me over the last couple of months as I've read some of your stuff and then now getting to hear you in person, some of the scriptural background yes. on this topic that I think is really important as we think about this between two Baptist institutions. So first, maybe what is the call and then help us understand this biblical foundation on reparations? Well, to admit and confess your sins does does not mean that you then have the right to determine what the consequences is going to be. I think that is arrogant. If you acknowledge that you stole from a people group, And more importantly, you created the theology which undergirded white supremacy, the theological foundations that white supremacy and black oppression was built on, was created by Southern Baptists. And there is no way of calculating the damage that has been done to blacks that we are suffering today. And Without racistic religion, you would not have white supremacy because the religion is the munitions plant that gives moral credibility to slavery, Jim Crow, and all that has damaged black America. Now, to acknowledge your complicity in this, your culpability in this, and to say we lament is not repentance. Metanoia is about fixing those, especially when you have the wealth to do it. Now to say, I stole from you as a people, and then say it is, we feel that reparations is inappropriate, to me brings upon you greater condemnation because the condemnation is the light has come 
and you have chosen darkness rather than light. And it is darkness to retain stolen money. That's darkness. You have no credibility to preach to others about justice, about repairing those whom you've damaged. You have no right to call for persons to be convicted of crimes and be sentenced to jail and penitentiary. For the fact of the matter is, you've got this big log in your eye. How can you look at, see the splinter in your neighbor's eye and not see the big log in your own eye? It's the same thing with David and Nathan, you know. When Nathan told David that we have a problem with a man stealing somebody's, and he said it's such a person who is worthy of death, well, David didn't see himself in the story. And we don't see ourselves. We see ourselves as the heroes and we don't see ourselves as the villains that we have been as it relates to black suffering and black pain. So I was calling. In fact, it was more my colleagues with Empire West who said that we should ask Southern Seminary to pay reparations to Simmons College since Simmons College integrated Southern Seminary. And Simmons College, E.Y. Mullins, who was a great friend of Simmons College, great friend. There's a book on Booker T. Washington that was written in 1916, forwarded by E.Y. Mullins, in which E.Y. Mullins says the greatest example of black empowerment is Simmons College of Kentucky. These are the words of E.Y. Mullins. And then since we are an institution that's educating black people. 99% of our students are black. 90% of them are poor. 75% of them are first-generation college students. So help strengthen that institution and do right. But Dr. Moeller said that he, first of all, he doesn't believe in reparations, so he doesn't believe in justice. Secondly, he could not partner with Simmons because he could not partner with an institution that he has theological differences with. Wait, further than that, because I, actually I wanted to ask you about this quotation. He suggested you don't even believe in biblical Christianity. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the, here's the man who represents the institution that enslaved people. And he's saying that I don't represent biblical Christianity. You know, how arrogant can you be? And he continues to say that even though he says slavery was wrong, he says the four founders were champions of orthodoxy they were they were idolaters they were evil i you cannot love god and hate me you cannot love god and break up families you cannot love god and treat me who's been made in the image of god as property and as a thing you can't do it so they have a very heretical version of christianity and that's the problem to say that they're, first of all, to confess that they sinned and then call them orthodox means that you have not really repented. So I do not believe, and Frederick Douglass did not believe, that those who owned slaves were Christian. I do not believe that the founders of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary were Christian. I think they were idolaters. I think they dis they misrepresented the faith. And for Mueller to call, you know, you might as well go ahead and call those who supported Hitler Christian too. You cannot 
be a part of the Hitler regime. You know, Bonhoeffer would say that, Bart would say that. You cannot be a part of Hitler and support him as many of the German churches did and call yourself Christian. Christian is more than just an intellectual ascent. It is how you treat people. And you cannot say you love God whom you've never seen and hate me whom you see every day. See, the Bible says you're a liar. So Moeller, I think that Moeller's big problem with me is not my theological views because he doesn't know what my theological views are. I think Moeller's big problem with me is that I am partnered with Cooperative Baptists and that another seminary has come to Louisville. A Baptist seminary has moved to Louisville on the campus of Simmons College of Kentucky. And that is the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. And so you have now, for the very first time in the city of Louisville, two Baptist seminaries accredited by ATS. And the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky is growing in Louisville, and it will continue to grow. And because black people have an affinity for justice because we're the victim of injustice, they're going to, I believe, blacks will continue to opt out of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And those conservatives who supported Trump, and I see them moving more towards conventions that advance justice, which Southern Baptist does not. How can you call yourself a seminary that promotes justice and reconciliation, and you've got a college there named after Boyce? And Boyce was a slave owner. And you don't see anything wrong with that. Would a Jew feel comfortable going to a college named after Eichmann? Would a conscious Jew feel comfortable going to a college that was named after a Nazi? No. So how, you know, in fact, the greatest tribute to the Confederacy, perhaps in the whole state of Kentucky, to slavery. The greatest monument to slavery is on Lexington Road at the Southern Baptist Theological School. Because it's a big, beautiful campus. It's a big, beautiful campus named after racist. And Moeller is so arrogant that he gets to decide, gets to decide this is the crime we committed, and I get to decide what the consequences are. What white privilege? So reparations to me, it's biblical. Zacchaeus said, a half of my goods I give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone, I will restore them fourfold. And Jesus said, salvation is coming to your house. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17, where it talks about Esau repenting. And repentance, metanoia, and this is according to Strong, who's conservative. Strong concordance says that repentance, metanoia, in this verse, means that you try to reverse what you did. And Esau, with tears, was trying to reverse the mistake. That's what repentance means. And he could not, but he wanted to. He tried, but he could not. Well, Southern Baptists can. They can reverse it because they've got $100 million in an endowment. And they can lead the nation in justice by trying to fix institutions that they destroyed and a people who are still suffering 
because of what they have done and continue to do. One of the, who was it, W.A. Criswell, who gave his chigger speech to South Carolina, in which he said, because the NAACP and integration, Southern Baptists are afraid to even say the word chicka, 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 because it's going to sound like the N-word. Now, this, this is the darling of the conservative movement. Was, that, was he Christian? Was he Christian? How many people got lynched? How many felt people got, felt justified lynching Emmett Till because they heard what he said? Or how many people felt justified? How, how did the Ku Klux Klan feel when we, we got the Bible behind us because of what Southern Baptists did? How many, how many millions of black people have been locked into poverty simply because of what Southern Baptists did? And you mean to tell me that all you're going to do is say, I'm sorry? Well, they didn't even say, I'm sorry. No, they didn't say, I'm sorry. They we didn't say, say, we said, we lament. We lament. They, they, they didn't, didn't even say, that. I'm sorry. You know? And more than... Southern Baptists doing something specifically, which I think they should do as a good gesture to a black institution, giving away money that they stole to black people. And the people that you damaged were not simply, you didn't damage them because they were Christian or because they were evangelical. You damaged them because they were black. And there were black atheists and Muslims who were slaves and who were damaged by you and black gays who were damaged by you and black, all types of blacks. So it doesn't, in terms of ideology or orientation, that has nothing to do with if you stole from a people, you're supposed to restore the people and you can't determine, I'm not going to get back at all, first of all, but if I were, it has to be partnering with people who are ideologically in, in alignment with me. I'm not trying to partner with Moeller. I'm That was not a call for partnership because we, you cannot partner with people that you don't believe are Christian. I'm calling for you to give back and to restore the people whom you've damaged. And in addition to that, beyond what your institution can do for black people, which you should do because you have stolen money, the money you have on your campus was built at the, at the expense of black people and my enslavement. You, that's theft. You're evil. In addition to that, you should be at the forefront of leading the national campaign for the federal government to make black people whole, the descendants of slaves whole. And when he said, we don't think reparations are the appropriate response. Well, is he talking about Southern Seminary, or is he talking about the federal government? Because if you don't believe reparations is the appropriate response, then what about Reconstruction that restored the South? That's reparations. And what about the Marshall Plan that restored Europe? That's repair. What about Native Americans who repaired? And what about when their darling Ronald Reagan repaired Japanese who interned? And what about the Confederates? who in 1862, when slaves were liberated in Washington, D.C., each slave owner was restored, was repaired $300 per slave. The slave owners, not the slave, not, not the, the slave, not the, the, slave, not the, not the, people, not the right? free people. Yeah. So historically, everybody has been restored and repaired. But black people who 
built the country, whose free labor built the country. At the beginning of the Civil War, 1861, black slaves constituted more wealth than the railroads, the banks, and all industry combined. Four million people, that was property, capital. Four million people that made America. We, it was the cotton we picked that started the Industrial Revolution, that made America great. And we received none of it. From two, for 246 years, I want you to think about the magnitude of that. Plundered and exploited, sold as property, families split up, tortured, children separated from their families. And then when the, the, it's over with, you concoct some, all types of, of, of lost cause mythologies to perpetuate our oppression for another 100 plus years of legal oppression, theologically justified by Southern Baptists. And then you want to know why black people across the country are down. And you don't feel like that the country has a responsibility to make these people, oh, this is not just for slavery. This is, Brian Stevenson said, that slavery never ended. It just was refashioned and and so it was just refashioned. And Moeller doesn't think that this country has a specific responsibility. Well, he needs to make that. He needs to say that and make that clear to all of the blacks that he's trying to recruit to Southern Seminary. Quit being a hypocrite. And say to all the blacks who come, sit them down, tell them, this is what we did to you. And we are honoring the people who did this to you. Welcome to boys. Welcome to Manly Hall. Welcome to all this. Because these are the people who, and they're reenacted. Get the whips out. Go get the whips and the thumb screws and the chains and put a museum up and say, this is what we did to you. And here are the buildings in which we're honoring the people who did that to you. And furthermore, we don't believe that you need to be repaired. We don't need, we don't believe that. Tell black people that. Get out and tell black people that. If, if you pray, if, you, if that's what you believe, tell folk. And see how long, how many black people come to Southern Seminary. And see if, if black people really knew what Moeller and Southern Seminary were talking about, they would equate them with who they are, the Ku Klux Klan and Nazis and skinheads. They are theological Klansmen. I, I feel like that I am sitting in the presence of Jeremiah. I hear the words of Jeremiah 6, that dress the wounds by people as if they are not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when yeah. there is no peace. Yeah. And it takes a prophet to call out, to show the hypocrisy. And that's what I appreciate about what you and Joe Phelps and Empower West and the Angela Project is trying to do, is to do that prophetic outing. Yes. To say that this is not the way it should be. It's not the way. And that is why woke black people, when they know what Southern Baptists have done, has done and what they're advocating, rightfully resent them. 
They are the enemies of black America. Moeller is an enemy to black America. Southern Baptists, as they are constituted, they are the enemy of black America. And what makes them so dangerous is that they're blinded by their arrogance and their pride. Over the last couple of months, sometimes on Twitter, Twitter can be productive. I've learned you have got me reading parts of the Bible okay. that, I, that I had not noticed. I think I had read the words, but I had not noticed them before. You mentioned the Zacchaeus story, where Zacchaeus pays four times back. Yeah. You mentioned the, the David and Nathan, where, where David says that that man should be killed and he should give back four. Four times, right. Four lambs. He right. sold one right. lamb, he should give back four right. lambs. There's some passages in the in the Torah that talk about four or five times. Another one says sevenfold. Yeah, Exodus 22 talks about. So the whole you know, issue of making people whole, paying restitution, is a biblical concept. As I say, that if you steal my car on Monday, get saved on Tuesday, and you're still driving my car on Wednesday, you're not saved. You stole my wealth molar on Monday. You acknowledge it on Tuesday, but you still have my wealth on Wednesday. Then why acknowledge it? What's the purpose? I think an even greater condemnation comes to you because you have chosen the darkness rather than the light. And we do not want scholarships. We do not want chairs named after black professors in white space. In, in fact, Dr. Mo, Dr. Mo, I'm talking to him, is... I'm sure he's a great fan of my show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> is that black people want their own institutions that they govern. That's what we want. And we want you to do right by black people. And if black people have their wealth back and were restored so that if we're 13% of the population and we were not given the opportunity to advance like the white middle class, we were locked out of opportunity. My father was a sharecropper. We're here in Alabama. He's from Alabama. He was a brilliant man. Just as I said, became the chairman of the board of Jefferson County Public School System. He was the first on his mother's side and father's side. And there were big families. He had 13 brothers and sisters, but he's the first Cosby to graduate from high school and graduate from college. He could not go to University of Louisville because he was black. He was born in 1930. They didn't integrate to 1951 when he was 21 years old. So he was blocked from opportunity. He wanted to be a lawyer. He wanted to be a lawyer because he was from northern Alabama and there was a, what's called the Scottsboro Boys who were falsely accused of rape and railroaded. And my father was impacted by that because he was a young man growing up there. So he said he wanted to be a lawyer and he had the brains to be a lawyer, but he didn't have the funds to be a lawyer. He didn't have the access the opportunity to be a lawyer so that he wasn't able to access opportunity and wealth and was unable to pass down anything to us and he was an American now if you made the Japanese whole and that was done in the 40s before I was born but my tax dollars had to make them whole then what's the difference between making them whole and making black people whole there was injustice legally in this country until 1968. When I was 10 years old, 1968, when, when you had open housing, the last with fair housing laws, which allowed black people to move out, I was 10 years old. 
But by then, things were turning. We were post-industrial. The rest of the world was catching up after World War II. The American economy was not as strong as it was in post-World War II era. By 1971, black, America was having zero economic growth. So during that short window, when the white middle class was being built, black people were locked out. We were American citizens. We were legally locked out. We couldn't move to certain neighborhoods. What, what, what do you do with subdivisions that were restricted from whites only? Levitt towns. What do you do with Levitt towns where whites got low interest rates, almost no interest rates, amortized over 30 years? Blacks couldn't get that. So it was cheaper to buy a house than it was to rent. But blacks are stuck in public housing and in segregated communities because FHAs would not support us. You you could not get banks to support us and, and, and invest in black neighborhoods. So no wealth was passed down and mold and we're American citizens and had to pay taxes. We pay taxes so that the programs could benefit him. And he doesn't think that black people need to be repaired. You hypocrite. Please tell black people you don't need to be repaired. And then answer for me, how are black people going to ever get out of this hole? When the fact of the matter is white people didn't get out of the hole of the depression Poor whites and black people basically were on the same level until the federal government came into this and lifted up whites and had affirmed as a book by Ira Katz Nelson called When Affirmative Action Was White. And affirmative action was white. White folk don't know it and blacks were blocked out. So you have all these opportunities and you're saying to me as an American, we don't need to get what white people have and you're going to call yourself a Christian? And you're going to try to recruit black people. You're a hypocrite. You ought to leave black people alone. Leave us alone. You've damaged us enough, you hypocrite. I want to ask you one more question, Neil. As we alluded to earlier, the 400th anniversary, August 20th. And Simmons College of Kentucky has published a devotional, a 40-day, yes. very biblical 40-day devotional guide to start July 12th yeah. and to run to August 20th. And then a service to be yes. on August 20th. I bought my copy actually a couple weeks ago off Amazon. Great. You buy it off Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Oh, I want you to give the pitch. Okay. And we're going to put this program out before July 12th, give right. people a chance to get this book yes. and to work through this 40-day period of prayer and reflection and then the service. I think that people don't understand the plight of Black America because it is a history that has been, our history in America has been edited. This 40 days, beginning July the 12th, including August the 20th, this book, which was written by a very brilliant woman who was a student at Baptist Center of Kentucky, 40 Days for the Liberation of ADOS, American Descendants of Slaves, is a daily, I think, two-minute devotional. But the impact of those two minutes of reading the actual stories from their own mouth of why these slaves ran away. So William Steele, who was the father of the Underground Railroad, recorded the words of the runaway slaves. And for 40 days, you're going to look at life through the lenses of a slave and what they actually experienced. And then you're going to be asked 
to pray for their descendants. Read their pain, pray for their children. And then there's some facts about blacks. So you'll draw a correlation between this is what happened and this is where black people are. So this will be 40 days. This has never been done before in American history. And it's being done by a woman who is a Baptist. There's all types of 40 days for marriage and 40 days for purpose and all this. But there has never been a 40-day devotion in American history that's focusing on this critical issue of reconciliation. So we're asking people to purchase the book. And then also there is a companion book. And this book is an actual ceremony that after people have read the 40-day devotional, on August the 20th, we're calling for Christians across the country to come together in a service. And we're asking blacks to sit on one side of the church and whites to sit on the other side of the church because there's a litany. There's something for blacks to say, something for whites to say, and then we will come together after we say it. And we're asking that this be done August the 20th, and we will walk out of those worship services on August the 20th, committed to a new trajectory, to fight for a new trajectory, a new 400 years uh, for racial relations in America. And since the church taught the nation how to divide on the issue of race, before the nation divided in 1861, Baptists divided in 1845. So let's teach the nation how to come back together again. Let, let's do that. So that's what the, this devotional is about. That's a lot for us to take in. I have so many thoughts swimming even just from the last couple of days. But thank you so much. Brian, for this has been great. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of this powerful podcast, for your good questions, and for your promotion of justice and authentic racial reconciliation. Thank you so much. I'm glad that it's happening in of all places in Birmingham, Alabama. Well, thank you for being on the program, and thank you for all you're doing, and thank many you blessings so on your ministry. Thank you so much, brother. Appreciate it. You can learn more about Simmons College of Kentucky at simmons.edu. That's S-I-M-M-O-N-S. You can learn more about Empower West at empowerwest.com. And you can find that prayer guide that we talked about, 40 Days of Prayer for the Liberation of American Descendants of Slavery, by searching for that at amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. As always, you can find us at wordandway.org. Don't forget to check out our sponsoring partner for this week's episode, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook and head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and write a positive review to help more people to find the show. If you have comments or feedback, please send them to me at bkaler at wordandway.org. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.